ீவனம் கவிரீதம் கல்மஷாபம் ஸ்ரவணமங்கலம் In the last class, we started with a section where the compiling of the Bhagavatam has been described. The circumstance, the background in which the Bhagavatam composition uh, was ta- has taken place. So that has been described in the Bhagavatam itself. And that's what we started describing in the last class. As we have indicated in the last class, that at the end of the Dwapara Yuga, when the meaning of the Vedas became incomprehensible, the Lord incarnated as Vyasa. He is also a partial incarnation of the Lord. To classify the Vedas into the four parts, Rik, Sham, Yaju, and Atharva. And he expressed the truths of the Vedas in the form of anecdotes and life stories as we find in the Mahabharatam and the 18 Puranas, which all have been composed by Vyasa. So he composed them in such a way that even ordinary people can understand the truth which has been spoken of in the Vedas. And for the learned, those who are interested in analytical reasoning, in trying to find out the truth, truth through analytical reasoning, so for them, he composed the Brahma Sutras. So even after that, he found that the peoples are not motivated for the spiritual practices. So somehow the worldly enjoyments, so they couldn't get rid of it. That was there in their heart. And then Vyasa felt very dissatisfied that after all, after doing such a huge, stupendous work, what's the result? And he himself, as per his own spiritual life is concerned, somehow he was finding that there's a sense of lack of fulfillment. And it is this scenario, the dejection of that Vyasa, in which we find Narada appears. It's a very interesting thing. The dejection is something we will find is at the beginning of almost all the scriptures. If you study the Bhagavad Gita, there also we find that the Arjun is highly despondent. That's why the very first chapter is called the despondent yoga, Vishada yoga. He was despondent. He was in a very crucial situation of his life where all the so-called, his values were failing. He didn't know what to do. And that's the time we find the God is expounding the Srimad uh, Bhagavad Gita. If you read the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, you'll find the same thing. Master Mahashwar, Mohindranath, he was going through a crisis. There were a lot of family tensions. He even contemplated of suicide and he never knew where to go when he had to leave his home. He thought that one of his friend, very close friend would give a shelter to him. And he was Received, he was very coldly received. Somehow he was allowed to stay one night. And then he had to come out with his family, not knowing where to go, what to do. And he was in such a dejection when one of his friends, Sidhu, who never came to Ramakrishna again, that was the once for all, he brought Mahindranath to Ramakrishna. That's the thing. You find that the gospel starts with that dejection, despondency. So such despondency is blessed if it can at last 
turn our, us towards the divine. And that's what we find. The Bhagavatam also is starting with its despondency. Not only that, when we will enter the Bhagavatam, when the Bhagavatam has to be expounded by Shukadeva to the world, we find that the King Parikshit has only seven days in hand. There's a chapter we will study uh, in some succeeding classes where we find Parikshit is despondent. Only seven days left. And he was just contemplating that in this in seven days, how can I evolve spiritually? Is it possible? And that's the situation when we find Shukadeva is appearing. So you find that despondency is something very crucial in spiritual life. To a certain extent, we have to feel that sense of dissatisfaction with our existing world. Otherwise, the thirst for the higher spiritual life can never come. So it is this despondency in which we find Narada is appearing. And he, after asking Vyasa the reason for his despondency, which he narrates, the, the things which we have started this class today, that the, all the reasons for which he was feeling dejected, uh, he, when he conveyed it to Narada, the Narada as a Bhavaroga Vaidya, as a doctor of worldliness, of the disease called worldliness, is diagnosing. What's the diagnosis that we described in the last class? The eighth mantra of the fifth chapter of the first part of Srimad Bhagavatam. What's that sloka? Bhavata Anudita Prayam Yasho Bhagavato Amalam Yena Eva Aso Natushyata Manye Tat Darshanam Kilam. So you have not spoken of the Amalam Bhagavato Yasho. Yasho means the glories. Amalam means the spotless, which is pure. The pure, the spotless glories of the divine. You have not described anywhere. Either you have went for some analysis or the life of someone who have resorted to spiritual practice have been described. The Lord is secondary. The devotees or the logical reasoning, they became the primary. The one after whom the devotees are contemplating, for whom they are contemplating, for whom they are sacrificing everything. So that, that the original, the source, you have never described. So bhavata anudita, anudita. Udita means to speak out in Sanskrit. So anudita means you have not spoken. Priam, almost you have not spoken. What? The Yesho Bhagavata Amalam. The spotless glory of the Lord. Yena eva aso natushyata. That however you may write all those scriptures, you can never please the Lord. Yena eva aso natushyata. Which fail to please the Lord. Manye tat darshanam khilam. No, there's all those scriptures are of no value. Khilam. They are very, very limited. Akhila means something which is unlimited. Khila means limited. So I consider them as imperfect, limited. All those philosophies which doesn't speak of the glories of the divine. So in the last class, we were describing in details this sloka. And now, just we will enter into the next sloka without again going back to the so this the discussion of the same sloka. The next sloka. What is the next sloka? So now the Narada, Narada is prescribing after diagnosing the cause of his dejection. Now he's prescribing that what he has to do? Atho, that is the 13th sloka of the fifth chapter of the first part of Srimad Bhagavatam. Atho Mahabhaga Bhavan Amughadrik Shuchisrava Satyarata Dhrita Vrata Urukramasya Akhila Bandha Muktai Samadhina Anusmara Tat Vicheshtitam Atho Atho means therefore. Therefore, when you know the reason, so what you have to do, therefore, O high souled one, Vyasa is all is the one who is spiritually as such is perfect. He 
as per the spiritual knowledge is concerned, we find he is the one who has composed the Brahma Sutras. He has classified the Vedas. So naturally, he is highly intellectual. He is highly spiritual. He can understand the subtleties of the scriptures. So such a person, such a high-souled one, oh high-souled one, Mahabhago. So you are this Bhavan Amogadrik. So that is unne, it is, it is your insight. It is that this your insight which never fails. Amogha, which never fails. What drik? Your insight. So your this unerring insight. This insight which never fails. You are a high-souled one with a very, very unerring insight. Amoghadrik. Shuchi Strava. These words are so interesting. Shuchi, Srava. Shuchi means purity. Srava means all speak of. So you are famed for your holiness. All speak of your holiness. Because your life is full of holiness. Shuchi, Srava. Satyarata. You are always ever devoted to truth. Satyarata. Dhrita, Vrata. Whatever vows you take. No one can waver you from those vows. Dhrita, Vrata. Vrata is the vows. Dhrita means one is holding onto them. He never wavers from his vows. So such a person, such a great person you are. So what for you, that you are capable of the thing which I am prescribing. So you will find that in the scripture that all things are not prescribed to all. For everybody. There are some who are capable to practice what has been said. So that's after saying this, all those qualities, which speaks of the, all the competencies of Vyasa. So now he will say what he is supposed to do. The next two lines, Urukramasya Akhila Bandha Muktaye Samadhina Anusmara Tat Vicheshtitam. So you go into deep meditation, samadhi. For what? To recall the memories of the wonderful deeds of the Lord. Tat vicheshtitam. The Lord incarnated as Krishna. He played his divine lila. And you were there to witness that. You are a contemporary of Sri Krishna. You have witnessed his divine play. He is no more there. But everything is there in your memory. Please Go into deep contemplation, and from your contemplation, that memory will be revoked. And once the memory is revoked, you then what you do? Then you have to compose, expound Akhila Bandha Muktai. They expound for the salvation of the mankind. What comes out from your contemplation? Who you have to write the life of whom? Of Urukrama. This word is very important here. Urukrama. Uru means your legs. Krama means sequence. Actually, one who never stops, who is always walking, literally is Urukrama. Constantly on the move. But why Lord has been called the Urukrama? Because as Vamana, in the Vamana Avatara, we will find that wonderful story that he covers up the three worlds just in three steps. The, the heaven, the earth, and the middle worlds, neither worlds. In three steps he covers and he asks where I keep my next step. So there is no place as if means he has covered the entire existence just by three steps. Just in, in three steps he has moved, the entire world has been covered. So that's why he's called Urukrama. That's why he's called Three Vikrama. Just in three steps, he has covered the entire world. So Urukrama means successive steps. So as Vamana, he strode the three worlds in just three steps. That's why he's also called the Three Vikrama. This speaks why he has been spoken such of as such. This speaks of his infinitude. That to understand, to comprehend the idea that Lord is not only this, that Neti Neti, the Bhakta describes as not only this, he is something beyond this. So he just three, in three steps, he has covered the entire existence of which we are aware of. 
so he is something even beyond that so this for that idea this word urukrama has been used even in the purusha shuktam in the vedas the same idea has been described what is that and when if you, those who know the purusha shuktam uh, by heart and those who chant it this lines are there in the purusha shuktam what etavan asya mahima this is his glory what is his glory ato jayasya purusha pado asya vishwa bhutani tripada asya amritam divi tripada urdhva udait purusha pado asye he abhavat punah tato vishwam vyakramat shashana ashane abhi the same idea the past the present the future universe are all the manifestations of the lord's power but he himself is even much greater this tripada asya amritam divi all the living beings of the universe is just one quarter and the eternal nature you know that is in the divine plane that exists beyond these three quarters the lord is in one quarter has manifested this universe and repeatedly he has done it just by a part of his manifestation repeatedly he is creating this universe projecting this universe it what you say goes to the dissolution again when it comes it's just a part of the lord which is being projected as the universe beyond this his glory can never be fathomed so that's the idea which even is in the purusha shuktam the shashana ashane abhi that he is beyond the living as well as the non living beings animate inanimate is something beyond that so that's the idea which we find is being mentioned even in the vedas that's being reinstated in the word urukrama which narada is designating to the lord so this idea this urukrama is very interesting when i was in lucknow ramakrishna mission that's where uh, when i joined there's a huge hospital center and when you enter the hospital immediately you will find there's a huge statue of swami vivekananda and that statue is bit different you i have never seen such statue that swami vivekananda as if walking the statue is like that he's walking and while walking he's looking sideways just on one side just as if while walking his attention got distracted to something and he's looking sideways he's moving in front and his eyes are focused on the side so i never understood that why such a statue why such a statue has been and uh, sculptured and then one of the senior monks then described me that the art the one the sculptor who has developed this statue the idea is wonderful what that swami vivekananda is something is is the incarnation of the divine he is as if just for a little while he was in this earth he is he belongs to some different loka he is as if passing from galaxy to galaxy and just for a while he looked at the earth and all this happened the huge movement the ramakrishna movement is just like a flash it happened by just one look of swami ji while going from loka to loka he has if turned so that's the idea of urukrama it's wonderful it's just this world which we think to be the be all and end all of existence is a mere projection of the divine so that's the idea of the urukrama which has been spoken of in this mantra so we find that everything happened in this even in this you know this in our ramakrishna tradition in a flash how that even you find that the description very nicely when how uh, that when ramakrishna is describing about narendranath what he is saying that he is one of the seven rishis and he is the one who was meditating along with the other seven rishis or other six rishis in an undifferentiated luminous region and that region which is undifferentiated with luminous region the seven rishis far far above all other this plenary existence they were in a very high strata of the spiritual existence and suddenly that undifferentiated luminous region took the form of a small divine child and he, he, this divine child went and tapped 
one of those rishis, tapped the shoulder of one of the rishis, embraced him and told that I am going. You have to follow me. So this is the way Ramakrishna very, in a very uh, mythological language is speaking of Narendranath, the small baby who actually came out of that undifferentiated luminous region is Ramakrishna himself. And one of those rishis is Narendranath. That he was asked to follow, he came. And then we find that from the very beginning when Ramakrishna saw Narendranath, there are so many indications. He's saying that he is going to be very, very short-lived. His life is very short. Even when he's in Dakshineshwar, there are many indications that he's not going to live long. But he is khap khola talwar. That's the word he's using. That he's a sword which is never inside the scabbard. It is always outside the scabbard. Means which speaks of the tremendous spiritual power which he's handling. He's saying the moment he knows his real nature, immediately he's going to leave this world. He cannot stay. I have just locked his knowledge for some work. And that's we find that Ramakrishna's instruction that what one day in Dakshineshwar, Ramakrishna went into Samadhi, came back and he was speaking of the Vaishnavas, three pillars of the Vaishnava Shastra. What's that? Name Ruchi, Vaishnav Seva, Jivedaya. That one, that what are the three practices of a Vaishnava, of a devotee? That he should have love for repeating the name of the Lord, Name Ruchi. He should serve the holy person, Vaishnav Sheva, and Jivedaya. And he should have compassion for all beings. Just after saying these three, Ramakrishna came down from the Samadhi and he really literally spitted out, saying, Compassion to Jiva, who are you to show compassion? You are an insignificant creature. How can you show compassion? Not compassion. Serve man as the divine. The Lord is there in each and every being. Serve him as the divine. This Narendranath that did immediately understood the deep significance of this message. His life was just to preach that. We find. And he, like in West, when he's going, his huge holdings below which is written, cyclonic monk, he just came like a cyclone. That was the term which was used for him, cyclonic monk. In such a short time, he formed the mission. Everything happened just in the flash of the moment. And then we find he has departed. And still we are carrying on with the mission. And we, he has just predicted for 1,000, for 1,500 years, this mission will go on working for the welfare of the humanity, for the spiritual welfare of the humanity. So this short life is actually, is being constantly interpreted through all the activities which are still going on. And we end all those activities, whatever, so huge activities are going on, so many centers, so many varied activities. But behind all those activities, what you find? That this is the basic idea. Shiva, Gyane, Jiva, Seva. Serving all beings as the Lord. So this, like the DNA, when you find when you, in a seed, the seed has a particular DNA. Now when the seed sprouts, it will have... You have the sapling, then when the sapling grows into a tree, it has the trunk, it has the branch, it has the twigs, the flowers, the fruits. From anywhere, you take a cell and try to find out the structure of the DNA. It is the same DNA which was in the seed. In the single cellular, that seed finds expression as in so many varied ways, as a trunk, as the branches, as the twigs, as the flowers, as the leaves, so many things. But everywhere, the same DNA. So similarly, this all these spiritually illumined souls come down, live a life, give a particular message, which finds varied expressions. But everywhere you find the same message is finding expression. Tat srishtva, tat evanu pravishat. After creating, he has as if entered into the creation. Just like the DNA. After creating, you find everywhere. So 
that's the idea you will find is the, in the word urukrama so now the next idea is very important that after that contemplating on the life of the divine who came like a flash he did everything he left the world with a message that through contemplation you have to bring back to your memory and then compose this bhagavatam that's being indicated in the second part of this sloka anusmara tat vicheshtitam urukramasya the urukrama of whom we were just speaking he's vicheshtita is all divine lila his divine practices anusmara you have to remember them bring back to your memory and then akhila bandha that the literature which comes out of it that will result in the salvation of mankind akhila bandha muktai so what's the basic idea behind it that what is the need for such an exposition you will find that it is the lord who is sitting in the core of each and every being and that makes us such for the infinite we are all we cannot stop that we all are searching for the infinite we can never think ourselves to be a finite being this is from a just a small child you see he is so much addicted to these cartoon movies why because the cartoon all these characters speaks of something beyond limitations they do something which i cannot do the child get hooked to that why because the child can never think itself limited you will find this so highly it gets stuck that is there is a tremendous awe factor is working we all have that awe factor from where it came because we can never think ourselves limited the things which i cannot do when i find is finding expression to some character i try to identify with that character and feel satisfied that's why the child will be trying will try to behave like those characters that's sa anantaya kalpate that's being spoken of in the vedas that as a human being we can never think ourselves limited because the unlimited is constantly echoing through our body mind complex and to satisfy this urge all we create this literature full of fiction all the fiction is is a product of that not only that even sometimes the real genuine life you will find any in all the spiritual traditions what's happening very interesting thing is happening that the lives are there historical lives are there but so much of myths get superimposed with that character any character jesus and uh, you can in the what you say the hindu traditions all the saints you will find so much of myths that they are doing some extraordinary things is it all true most probably some is true but most of them most of them are actually has came out from the fertile imagination of the human brain why why it has happened again sa anantaya kalpate we cannot stay thinking ourselves limited we just take one character spiritual character and we will going on spinning all sorts of stories at last the fact became something almost hidden the myths actually at last the thing which describes that character why it happens again because of that sa anantaya kalpate i cannot think myself to be limited being always i will imagine something which is unlimited and try to get identified with it that's what sri ramakrishna used to say swami vivekananda used to say that's what constantly we are doing and in a ridiculous way ramakrishna used to say shib gorte banor gora so in our attempt to make the statue to make the statue sculpt the to just sculpt what you said have a sculpture of shiva at last we find that it has got converted into a monkey i couldn't make shiva that shiva I, my attempt was to make shiva out of the clay or out of the uh, model clay or out of the stone and at last i find it has it is almost resembling a monkey shib gorte banor gora so why it happens because though that something infinite is echoing behind us but we don't have any as such reference through which that uh, infinite uh, that our sense of infinitude can be satisfied so we just go on making something which is merely fictitious imagination alika that's why the vaishnavas call all such scriptures as alika shastra 
like Harry Potter, Alika Shastra. It's, it's a product of the imagine, this imagination of the human brain. It's a product of that. You see the Hollywood movies, all the, the sci-fi movies, all this, uh, the movies we speak of science fiction, all these movies are all Alika Shastra, the product of the imagination of the human mind. And that way, our this faculty of search for the infinitude is getting sidetracked. We just at last resort to some imagination. So it's only that we can use that faculty in a very positive way. If only we can resort to the life of the divine. There, there also you will find that if you read through the throughout the life of Krishna, that so many extraordinary acts he is doing. But through all of this, at last you will find when you go through them, that it satisfies your quest for infinitude at the same time it is evolving you spiritually when you're just watching harry potter harry potter it just satisfies your sense of imagination but at the same time it doesn't give any as such productive output it's simply that way is a waste but the same this all these extraordinary deeds of the spiritual being when you're going through that that itself purifies so all faculty is something which I cannot stifle, I cannot deny. It will find expression. So if it, it is bound to find expression, I have to nurture it in such a way that instead of taking me spirally downwards, it should take me spirally upwards. In the present day, it's a big challenge. You will find that in our curriculum, there is no scope for nurturing our faculty of awe, which is there. We never have any scope. We only speak of rational way of understanding the things. We give so much importance to our rational mind. And we think this awe faculty, which takes us to the imagination as fantasy, those things shouldn't be encouraged, nurtured. And we try to stifle. That's why all the scriptures of no are of no use at present in the present education system. Because when the child asks why such thing happens, I find no explanation. And just as I cannot explain, I simply avoid them. But I forget the same child uh, who is not introduced to all those myths and mythologies is constantly being bombarded by all those cartoon characters. There we have no say. It's a wonderful thing. We have stopped that, but can we stop this? We cannot. But you see what is happening in a very interesting. As this awe faculty is not nurtured in proper way, what they're seeing, that through all those awe faculty, they're resorting to all the sins which speaks of violence, tremendous violence. And that's what you will find that the character is molded that way. Tremendous violence, anger, rage, which he sees in those character, lust. Those are the things these children are identifying. Their awe faculties are being identified with that. And that is taking them to that spirally downwards path. It is gradually deteriorating them. Even if we try to understand very rationally, if, you, if the awe faculty is not satisfied, how it finds expression. Very interesting. When Swami Vivekananda was delivering lecture in the West, he was speaking of Advaita Vedanta, non-dual this, uh, this, uh, the Vedanta, the, about the non-dual reality, the conscious principle. All this he was speaking. That at last we are all that conscious being. Name and form is a delusion. And then when he ended the lecture, at the conclusion, someone stood up and told Swamiji, it was a wonderful lecture. You speak of that non-dual reality, which is beyond form, beyond name. But in your day-to-day -day practice, you are all so ritualistic and you worship images. You are all idol worshippers. Isn't it so? And there was a wonderful smile in the face of Vivekananda as he was pacing up and down the stage. And he told, yes, madam, you're correct. We do, we are idol worshippers. But you two are idol worshippers. Now the lady was really taken aback. But how can we are idol worshippers? And then what Vivekananda told is something very, very interesting. He told, why, madam? Do the young men of your society 
do they not kneel down in front of a young girl and say you are the angel isn't is it not an idolatry so what are swami vivekananda saying is very interesting you'll find we can never deny as a young man when you when we are going through the stage of puberty that all faculty how it finds expression we see in an another human being something like angel what happens all faculty now clouds our vision it clouds our vision nothing negative is seen only the positive things are seen and we think there's an angel and when what happens with the angel you start your life and then you find it's only devil the angel has gone only the negative faculties are visible no more the positive faculties and that what what's has happening it's again the all faculty which i could have nurtured so that it could have helped me to go spirally upwards was not taken care of it finds expression as lust we cannot deny that we all we, we all can be just say that it is our subjective experience that when we go through that state that how we all took the flesh and bones person to be something angel something as if ethereal isn't it an idol worship it happens because again same that all faculty finding expression as just the sensuality not only that it finds expression as destruction even in the present world it is so easy to brainwash the so called educated person the intelligentsia the engineers the doctors you can easily brainwash them with all those education at last you find they are resorting to tremendous terrorist activity in behind the terrorist activity is not that only the so called uneducated poor persons are there you will be surprised to know there is a great big faction of intelligentsia is there what has happened how they have in got involved there with all their knowledge because it's very easy to brainwash a person who is deprived from the fulfillment of that all faculty what you say that this is the thing which the lord has actually ordained us you kill the non believers you kill the uh, this non believers and then you enjoy eternal life in heaven just see how the all faculty is working the same of faculty that i am not this limited being i will be the enjoying an unlimited life in heaven so that's how your all faculty is getting hooked with that idea and now you are brainwashed to do all the destructive activities so why it is all happening because in the school curriculum we have totally denied the nurturing of the all faculty in a positive way we could have done that so these scriptures have that wonderful purpose so now you will understand what narada is saying that why this type otherwise it will end up only in alika shastra there the not all these uh, what is the wonderful characters which you imagine has no as such spiritual overtones behind it and when you follow that it takes you to all those destruction and lust nothing else so that's why this type of contemplation is required where you contemplate the life of the divine it's extraordinary life where again it is only through that all faculty you can relate to that all the things that superhuman things are finding expression through those lives but at the same time it speaks of highly something spiritual just take that one of the most sensitive censored thing in the bhagavatam will come at last the rasa leela we take it as an ordinary human being as ordinary love between man and woman but you will find krishna going before going to the rasrila is praying to the shakti that see that lust doesn't find expression through me the gopis are doing the same prayer before going there and it is just a spiritual union the gopis when meeting krishna never forgets the divine the spiritual uh, essence with whom they are actually dealing and that's why even when we were studying the narada bhakti we studied the narada bhakti sutra there was a particular sutra if the gopis were not aware of the divine dimension of krishna that love would have been an ordinary love illicit love not only ordinary love it would have been just an ordinary illicit love that's what a sutra is saying in the narada bhakti sutra so just you see that is so superhuman we cannot think as an ordinary human being to relate to that 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 is exposed to all shorts of so called the sensate uh, 
allurements which are present in the world, but he's above it, just like a lotus leaf in the water, not touched by water. Now, when you get really awe, that you get awestruck with this character, what is happening? That through all this act at last, that you also are developing that idea. It, it, is, it is possible to live in this world in a dispassionate way. It is the, what Krishna is actually representing is something superhuman. But at the same time, if it lures me, it gradually is transforming my character in such a way that I gradually now spirally move upwards instead of spirally moving downwards. So that's why these scriptures are so important. The same awe faculty can be nurtured in a positive way. You resort to any scripture, whether it is Bible, whether it is Quran, whether it is Bhagavatam, at last, if you can resort to them without getting brainwashed, just that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say a wonderful thing. Go back to the Upanishads. Whenever we study Upanishads, we immediately resort to this commentary or that commentary. So that's why Swamiji is saying, no, no, don't go to these commentaries. Go back to the Upanishads. Directly go to the scripture. Without these interpretations, we can assure, it can be assured that any person, if without those interpretations, can try to go directly to the scripture, will find it's actually speaking of something very, very uplifting. There cannot be anything which speaks of destruction, which speaks of violence, which speaks of hatred. It all speaks of integrity and spiritual evolution. So that's why these types of scriptures are so important. That otherwise you will be, we are bound to resort to Alika Shastra, all the fantasies, which actually has no spiritual import. So that's why this sentence is so important. What is saying? That Anusmara Tat Vicheshtitam, Urukramas of the Lord, the divine sport of the Lord, that you try to contemplate and that you bring back to your memory and that you put it down as a scripture and that alone can uplift the entire humankind. Otherwise, we are bound to resort to all those Alika Shastra, all those fantasies, which as such has no spiritual import, which instead of liberating us, will be binding us, will be destroying us. And that's the thing is being prescribed by Narada. You'll find that this three, four lines, but actually it's speaking, which you can never contradict by any other arguments. If you just really go to it without, with total unbiased mind, you will find such a wonderful thing our Narada is saying. So before going back to the next, before resorting, discussing the next sloka, before going to the next sloka, that just as a, uh, what is the overall, for an overall comprehension, we read that sloka once more. The 13th sloka or the 5th chapter of the first part of Bhagavatam. What's Atho Mahabhaga Bhavan Amogadrik Shuchisrava Satyarata Dhritavrata As you are a person who are competent because of your spiritual uh, this character that you are one who never breaks your vows who are always established in the truth, who has an unerring insight, who is famed for your holiness, you are the person who can go back in Samadhi and just remind of the entire divine play and write it for the welfare of the humanity. So this sloka, you know, some, this, sometimes we always try to relate with the tradition in which we are nurtured. It is so, we are so familiar with this sloka. When you go to the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, how it was written that Master Mahashaya, as if was the one, the one who wrote the gospel, he was the one as if he was ordained for this from his very birth. He had the ha habit of writing diary from his very childhood. And you know, the, those who have the habit of ri writing diary, what they do throughout the day, what has happened at the end of the day before going to bed, they will try to recollect and that they will write it down. So you are developing that habit of recollecting what has happened and then you write down. It's not that my, this Master Mahashaya used to take a notebook and pen in the presence of Ramakrishna and whatever he used to speak is to write. No. The gospel of Sri Ramakrishna never came that way. 
whatever he heard there he only used to hear sit and hear the, hear the words of the master was absorbed by it it's only after coming back he used to meditate what he has heard and the entire gospel is a product of that meditation is almost the same thing what narada is asking vyasa that's what uh, my this master mahasha is doing this last this life of master mahasha is wonderful is a product this gospel is a product of his contemplation when ramakrishna was still alive he wanted ask shubodh one of the future monastic disciples direct disciples of ramakrishna he later became shubodhananda so he was a just a young boy of 14 or 15 when he started visiting ramakrishna ramakrishna one day told uh, shubodh the boy shubodh young boy shubodh the sometime uh, now and then you should go to mahendranath to master mahashay and just be in his presence just be with him just be in his company shubodh never went for few though and then ramakrishna again asked him have you went he told no he is an ordinary householder why should i go to him he is having wife he is having family children what uh, what type of holy company i am going to have with him ramakrishna insisted no you should go and when shubodh went he found the answer wonderful answer that why he was insisting mahendranath suddenly told shubodh a very interesting thing that i am an ordinary person but i have kept a huge jar full of ganges water just in the corner of my house whoever comes i just give him to sip that water i am an ordinary person but i have a jar of the ganges water so this the entire scripture is like the jar of the ganges water is a product of the contemplation of vyasa so which is as pure as purifying as the ganges water anyone who goes near it is being as if purified by its by just by sprinkling of that ganges water so that's what is being indicated by uh, this sloka that's the, as this narada's prescription was that so when this after hearing this the next sloka which we are going to read out is that what uh, vyasa did that as per following the narada's prescription what he did this anartha this is the sixth sloka of the seventh chapter of the first part of bhagavatam that that it is indicating that the what vyasa did as just to follow up narada's instruction anartha upashamam anartha upashamam means upashamam means to remove to get rid of anartha anartha means evil that doesn't result in any artha artha means some purpose anartha means that spoils all purpose that is evil so remover of all evil this such type of scripture is a remover of all evil anartha upashamam shakshat is very practical once you just study it immediately you will find the very practical way of spiritual life has been exemplified there bhakti yogam yogam adhokshaje it extinguishes the desire for worldliness adhokshaje means to extinguish it extinguishes this bhakti yoga extinguishes the desire for worldliness just by reading it your the desire for worldliness is extinguished lokasya ajanata and it is the only resort for the one who are ignorant it's not that all are capable of practicing spirituality in the form of contemplation meditation many say i cannot meditate for them the easiest way just read some of this authentic scriptures that itself will become a meditation that itself can immediately give you a very purifying that what you say that the result you meet and that which you feel is palpably felt so that's the so that's that's the thing which you have to compose chakra that's what he's composing vyasa chakra means to compose what he is composing shast this shatvata samhitam the samhita means this scripture the samhita which is satvat satvata means which is eternal it's you can never just comp- finish reading it the more you read the more the meaning comes out of it the more it transforms your life 
So that's why it is Shatvata. It is something eternal. So in Samadhi, Vyasa attained, that's the Saksha, he attained what? That devotion, that Bhakti Yoga, which is the remover of all evil, Anartha Upashamam, all evil, and which extinguishes the fire of worldliness, Adhokshaje. And then what he did, then that illumined sage, the Vidwan, means Vyasa has been indicated as the Vidwan, that illumined sage, what he did, for the good of the human beings, for the locusts, for the good of the human beings, who are blinded in the worldly enjoyments. The word Agyana indicates this, that those who are all blinded in these worldly enjoyments. He composed Chakre, he composed Shatvata Samhita, this Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a Purana. The word Purana, as we again have described previously, Pura Api Navaiva, means ever, ever aging, never old. It's aging, but never old. You can go on reading Pura Api Navaiva. Purana. These words, sometimes we translate into English, it loses its meaning. Like itihasa, we say history. Itihasa is not history. Itihasa. It means what? That which was, that which is, that will be. The All the events are changing, but behind all the events, there are some eternal values, which never changes. That was, that is, that will be. So you're right, you're just depicting all the things which has happened in some particular point of time, but you're depicting in such a way that it is actually reflecting the values. It is not just simple, uh, what you say, autobiographical description. So that's the word meaning of the word itihasa. That's the meaning of the word Purana. So Bhagavata is a Purana. Pura Apinabhaiva. It never gets old. It's a perennial scripture. It's a perennial scripture That's uh, that which uh, Vyasa composed. And what's the nature of the scripture that's being spoken of in the next sloka, the seventh sloka of the seventh chapter of the first part of Bhagavatam. It's one of the very important slokas. Uh, we'll read out and just try to have discussion as much as the time permits. Yasyam vai sruyamanayam krishne paramapurusha bhakti utpadyate pungsa shoka moha bhayapaha. If one somehow listens to Bhagavata, you need not have to plan. Most probably you just, uh, just as, as, a, as a passerby, you suddenly hear somewhere this Bhagavata is being actually extolled, is being described. And immediately you will find it is changing your mind. If somehow one listens to the Bhagavata, even a little, yasyam vai sruyamanaya. There are many who say that you should study from the very beginning to the end. Otherwise you don't get the result. But Bhagavata himself is saying, you are a busy person. Most probably you don't have time. You did not have to just hear it in totality. Just you little, Suryamanayam, Yasyavai. Then what happens? Immediately you develop Krishna Parama, Krishna Parama Purusha, that the supreme being who, who incarnated as Krishna. In him, you will find immediate the bhakti is developing. Bhakti Utpadyate Pungsa. And once the bhakti develops, what's the result? You go behind Shoka, Moha, Bhaya. Bhaya. Shoka is misery, Moha, delusion, and Bhaya, fear. So how it happens? That how Bhakti helps us to go beyond all misery, delusion, and fear. In short, we will try to understand is what Shoka, Moha, Bhaya means. Shoka, misery. What's actually misery? What actually misery means in our day-to-day life? We always have small miseries. That is not indicated as shoka. Shoka actually speaks of some in, we all realize at one point of our life that we are in some abject misery from where there is no way out. You can say it is an inescapable trauma. We all go through it today or tomorrow. That the trauma is okay. We can just come back again, revive back that there are some inescapable trauma. There's no way out. All our strength, all our intelligence, nothing works. We find that we are in a situation which can be designated as inescapable trauma. From that, for most of us, what happens? The thing which develops is moha. Moha in the modern psychological world, it is learned helplessness. That shoka results in moha. To give an example, 
this type of experiments are not allowed nowadays because animals shouldn't be tortured but we find in the olden days in the even in our academic field this type of experiments were quite common what's the experiment that there is a cage with some wheels in the middle these are very frictionless wheels and some rats are kept on one side of that cage and some food is kept on the other side of the cage so the rats when they are hungry can get the food if they just have to cross over the wheels now the wheels are made so frictionless the rats when they try to just go over the wheels the wheels goes on turning and they couldn't they cannot go to the other side the food is there they get exhausted they cannot reach because the more they try the more the wheel goes on turning and just like the our treadmill they are just as if moving in the same place they cannot go this results in learned helplessness so you have learned that i am helpless now the same experiment is done by increasing the friction of the wheels so now if the rats really try they can cross it, it it is not very easy but they have to try hard they can cross but it has been found that at the very beginning if the wheels were with friction and they have crossed then the next time they try but if at the very beginning they were frictionless wheel and they tried and tried they couldn't and then you put the friction the, the wheels with friction they never try little they try little and find that the wheels are revolving they cannot go and they stop trying why that from that inescapable trauma you have developed this learned helplessness the helplessness you have learned from the previous circumstance and this makes you pessimistic that all that that you will find that there is a depression in the present world is the same this is the equation the all the shocker the all the inescapable trauma leads us to some type of this learned helplessness and that leads to all sorts of this fear you get that the life entire life i just find that i can do nothing anything any challenge comes i am afraid even to just try to go beyond it so this you will now understand what is being meant is shoka moha bhaya we all go through it and now this here we find this that uh, the scripture is asserting that just by reading the scripture you can go beyond that so it's a very interesting thing that how is it possible to go beyond shoka bhaya maha shoka moha bhaya if something is inescapable trauma we are bound to have learned helplessness and from that that we are going to have that fear that pessimistic attitude how can we go beyond it there are so many experiments in india it's a very common thing in the olden days even now in some of the temples you will find that domesticated elephant now the, the elephant when it is in its uh, this uh, in the shade very interesting thing you will find that the elephant is tied with just a very ordinary rope and the elephant never tries to break it's just simply standing there silently you know why it has been domesticated how it has been domesticated when that elephant was very small it was a cub they used to tie with a strong iron chain it tried its best to get rid of that chain it couldn't it was strong iron chain so that again that learned helplessness now this big elephant has very has tremendous strength but when something is tied with its leg it somehow has that learned helplessness i cannot get rid of it and it stays calm so the circumstances of life just makes us that tepid we don't challenge we go to some pessimism pessimistic attitude but very interesting even when those experiments were conducted very interesting that if the experiment was conducted with 10 ten, 10 ten rats it's not that all developed that learned helplessness eight of them never tried two of them somehow tried two of them tried and they succeeded they went to the other side so the big question that that we are we are all bound to have that learned helplessness no there are some who by nature are optimistic most of us are pessimistic some somehow never leave they're resilient they're so always they're resilient they try to always take the every situation as new and they will 
just go trying to get rid of it. So some says that when half a glass of water is there, some says half glass is empty, some say half is full. That's the difference between the pessimistic and optimistic. Now the question comes, what are the traits which make some pessimistic, most of them pessimistic and some optimistic? So under, um, once we understand those traits, then we will try to understand how bhakti helps us to develop those traits. And then we will find that how significant this loka is. So these traits of pessimism and optimism, how to even transcend the learned helplessness to be optimistic. What are the threats? So today the time is over. We will again take up our discussion from this point that the difference between the pessimism and optimism, what are the or the threats of our character which can help us to develop those optimistic attitude and how bhakti can help us in developing those threats and how that bhakti can be again cultured just by reading the scriptures, authentic scriptures like Srimad Bhagavatam and how just by simply a simple act like reading the scripture can help you to transcend the suffering of life. So this is being very shortly described in this sloka, which we will again take up in the next class to have a bit elaborate discussion. So thank you all for attending. So Namaskar, Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti.